And as we continue our series, Reaching for Hope, to uh, kind of close out this year and our, our theme of reaching, we're going to talk today about really one of the most unique things about Christianity, about what God has actually done. When you compare world religions to Christianity, there is one thing that really, really sticks out that is different from everything else. And that is forgiveness. Instead of us, as most world religions teach, us having to come and appease a God who is angry with us, God, in his love and mercy, offered his son as a sacrifice so that he could forgive us. And he took the first step. Instead of anger, you have love. And grace. Instead of us living in a perpetual state of the unknown of, is God happy with us or not? Have I done enough? Do my works add up? God said, I'll forgive all of your sins so that you may know that you have eternal life. Did you realize that that is absolutely unique in world history? that God would take the first step. Like every other religion that's, that's pretty much ever existed has us separated from God. We realize there's a problem, but it's up to us to fix it. God said, you can't fix this, so I'm going to fix it for you. And so today we're going to look at Psalm 32 at the hope of forgiveness. Because as we go you know, into this, this Christmas season, this really is what we're celebrating, is the fact that we have hope. That God reached his hand out to us without waiting for us to first reach our hand to him. And in fact, when he reached his hand out, we largely rejected it. Over and over in scripture, we see in the Old Testament, and Jesus came, and most people rejected him. And yet God continues to offer his hand in forgiveness and acceptance. We have such a privileged position being the object of God's love and desire. You know, the scripture tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this Christmas season, let's find hope in the fact that God wants to forgive. And yet he is a holy God, so he can't just turn a blind eye to sin. Because he is holy and perfect, he cannot overlook sin and rebellion against him. And so he created the perfect situation where righteousness could be given to those who believe. That righteousness comes by faith and not by works. And so look with me in Psalm 32. And it said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. 
and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. One of the first things I want us to see is that confession and forgiveness lead us to blessing. We're not entering into the presence of an angry, vengeful, wrathful God who's just waiting to get you. And unfortunately, some people grow up with that image of God. They're taught that image of God, that you better do what's right or God's going to get you. Let me tell you something. If God wanted to get you, he'd gotten you by now. Okay? God doesn't miss. No, God is not vengeful. Does he have vengeance? Yes. Does he have wrath? Yes, he does. And he lines out exactly what that is and, more importantly, how we can avoid it. Because he doesn't want anybody to endure that on the day of judgment. He doesn't want people to, but he will. Because he is holy and good, he must judge sin. And those who choose to remain in their sin without confession, without forgiveness, then God will unleash his wrath on them in the end. And will be justified in doing so. You see, the number one problem of humanity is sin. Take every problem in the world. And the root, the root cause of every problem, every sickness, every war, and every death is sin. We can look at the world and find that problems abound, right? I mean, you, you know, if you watch the news, I mean, it's just, you know, everything's horrible. It's the worst it's ever been. It's all bad. We can see sickness, and we want to cure it. We can see corruption, and we want to bring justice to it. And while all of these are good and noble pursuits, they will never solve the deeper problems facing humanity. You know, how many of you ever noticed you fix one problem, it seems another one's right there waiting? You know, there's a reason we have Murphy's Law in this world. What is Murphy's Law? You know, if it can go wrong, it will. There's a reason that we have those, those sayings, and that's because the world we live in is broken. Because the world is broken. Cure one disease, another crops up. Remove one criminal, another springs up. Some things can get better in the short term, but we can't ever seem to get ahead of the curve. Have you noticed that? We want to solve something. We just can't seem to get there. And you know why? The reason is sin. We haven't yet figured out how to remove sin from the human equation in this world. And you know what? We're not going to. There's nothing that we're going to do in our power that is going to say, you know what? Heart, mind, do what's right all the time without even second guessing it. Every one of us in this room had trouble doing that just today. And so rebellion against God is a fact of life in this world. Sin is real. 
And every one of us struggles with that. And when I say struggle, you know, I don't even like that word. We don't struggle with it. We like it. To a degree. Now, you know, people are like, oh, I, didn't, I don't like it. Yeah. Next, next year, we're going to get into a, a, a whole series on temptation. But let's just say this. You're not tempted by anything you don't already want. You see, the scripture tells us that desire gives birth to temptation. And so we can all look at what it is that tempts us, and we find there's something there that we want. Now, sometimes the temptation is, you know, we're tempted to do something good the wrong way. You know why? Because we're impatient, and we don't want to wait. And so it's not the good thing that we want. It's the path that we want to take that is wrong. But either way, sin is a problem for all of us. And what does the Bible tell us? It says in Romans 3.23, the wages, or in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Every single time. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if we don't in ourselves look at sin as the number one problem and that everything else grows from that, then we will find ourselves chasing a phantom that we are never going to catch. There's no amount of self-improvement that is going to solve the sin problem in your own heart. There is no amount of education that's going to change the nature of humanity. There's no amount of wealth. There's no amount of health that is going to get rid and eradicate all disease in the world because the world is broken. See, sin is at the root of the problem. And so whether we see the problem for what it is or we deceive ourselves and engage in unfruitful attempts to solve the problem, sin is still going to be there. And this is why God's consistent message in Scripture is that our sin must be forgiven. This is a consistent message. You go all the way back to Genesis and, and go all the way through to the very end in Revelation and you see this consistent message of God telling us your sin my sin is separating us from God. It needs to be forgiven. And you need to turn from that sin and turn towards God. And God is literally doing everything under the sun to yell it to us, to whisper it to us, to show it to us. He is showing us every way possible. Look, you have a problem. And I have the answer. You see, he's not doing it to condemn us. He's doing it to warn us. And one of the things that, that always gets me is when I read the book of Revelation. You know, Revelation is not written to be like this timeline of the end times that we can take each and every verse and like match it up with world history somewhere. So if you're doing that, don't. You're just going to confuse yourself. But it does say as God is pouring out the, these plagues on the earth and this wrath the, 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 the wrath of God is being revealed on earth, it says that the people will still refuse to repent and will shake their fist at God, holding to their sin, refusing to see that God is showing them the very thing that is causing them problems in, in their lives. And because God shows them the truth, they hate him That's the state of, of unregenerate, lost, without the Holy Spirit, not born again man. And every one of us is born naturally into that. Okay, just leave a person alone. They're born into this world. They don't ever hear from God. 
That's who they become. Left to themselves, that is what we will all become. And so this is why God tells us now, in Psalm 32, he's telling us that if you want to get outside of that, if you don't want to live in that for your entire life, if you want to have hope, if you want to experience something other than the sheer brokenness of this world, it is found in confession and forgiveness. Confession of sin to God and forgiveness of sin by God. Listen again to what he says in verses 1 through 5. It says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Now this is transgression of what? Transgression of God's laws. Transgression of God's holiness. We don't decide what is sin and what isn't. God does. And his holy nature says this is the standard and anything that violates that standard is sin. And we can say, God, I disagree. And he says, I don't care. Adam and Eve tested that and lost. Over and over in scripture, people test that and lose. We, when we sin, test that with God and lose. It's what we do. And so as blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Again, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, the only way to receive the blessings of God is that those sins be forgiven. We can't undo the past. How many in here would go back and undo something? Just a couple. You know, we, we, we all have our less than proud moments that we look back on life and go, that, that was just horrible. And if I could undo that, I would. But you know, we can't. We cannot go back and change the past. And so once it's done, it's done. And we have to live with that. And so we can't undo the past, but we can be forgiven and have our sins covered by God himself. And what the psalmist describes here is a few necessary points to it. One, blessing is in having transgressions forgiven. Only God can forgive sin. Only God can forgive sin. We can try to make it up to people. We can try to fix, you know, whatever collateral damage or worldly damage is done in sin. But if you want your sin truly forgiven, you have to go directly to God and ask his forgiveness. Nobody else can grant you that kind of absolution in this world. Two, blessing is in God not counting iniquity against us. Now, I believe the psalmist chose his words very carefully here. He didn't say blessed is the one in whom there is no iniquity. You know why? Because then there would only be one who was ever blessed, and that would be Jesus. He says blessed is the one against whom God counts no iniquity. God knows we are sinful and rebellious. Blessing is found in God not counting iniquity against us. Not in somehow finding the secret to perfection. 
So again, this is about forgiveness. It is not a pathway towards God saying, okay, I know you've sinned here, but I need you to get to this point where sin will never, ever be a part of your life again. Okay, he is not calling us to perfection. Why? Because he knows we can't. You see, the problem with perfection is once you're imperfect, you can't become perfect. The, the imperfection's there. God knows that, and he's not, he's not going after that. Now, one member of our church described it very well, and, and I appreciate it. He said, you know, the goal is to make no mistakes. That's got to be our goal every day. Are we going to meet that goal? No. But if we're at least striving for holiness... That means we're not intentionally putting our efforts into rebellion. And there's a world of difference in life in those two pursuits. One is live for God, striving for his standard. The other is live for self, of which there is no standard. And it will just be a continual drop down. And so we can only be forgiven through Jesus Christ. You see, if God is perfect and holy, he can't tolerate sin. Eternal sin requires an eternal price. Eternal sin requires eternal justice. We are eternal beings. God did not create us to die. You know, we hear that all the time. You know, death is a natural part of life. That is actually, I don't like that statement. We weren't created for death. That's why it stings so much when somebody dies. Because we, in, we, we instinctively know this isn't what's supposed to be. God did not create us to die. He created us to live eternally with him. Death only entered the picture because of sin. Now, it is a reality that we have to deal with. But death is a consequence of a broken world. That's why in the new heaven and new earth, God says there will be no more death. He's going to fix all of it. He's going to remove sin in the new heaven, new earth, and there will be no more sin, no more suffering, no more death, no more sickness, no more disease. And the next blessing is having no deceit in one spirit. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road for us. Okay, this is the big, this is the big one. This is talking about self-deceit and deceiving others. This is talking about pretending sin isn't there, hiding it and refusing to confess it to God, pretending that we're somehow above it, deceiving ourselves. And understand, Jeremiah said, the heart is desperately ill. It is deceitful above all things and desperately ill. Who can understand it? Now, what does Jeremiah say? He says, the heart is deceitful above all things, above all things. That's who we are. Left to ourselves, we will deceive ourselves more than anything. We will have ourselves believing things that aren't true, believing things about ourselves that aren't true, whether too high or too low. It doesn't matter. It will all be untrue. We will deceive ourselves. And what happens in forgiveness is we no longer deceive ourselves. We are open about that sin before God. We take it to God and say, here I am. Here's my sin. I confess it to you. Here's where I violated your holiness. Here's where I broke your commandments. These are the commandments I broke. And I did it because I wanted to. I'm ashamed of it, and yet I wanted to. You see, that's the paradox of what sin does to us. Adam and Eve wanted to eat of the fruit of the tree, but they were sure ashamed of themselves afterwards. 
as they covered themselves and hid from God. Now, when they hid from God, what was that? That was deceit in their spirit. Deceit driven by fear, driven by shame, but it was deceit nonetheless, as though they could hide from God. And so verses 3 and 4 show us what happens when we refuse to acknowledge and confess our sin to God. It actually affects us. When we deceive ourselves, there are greater consequences to that than just being out of step with God, as though that's something small. But it actually affects us personally. The longer we go out of step with God, the more it affects us. In our identity, in our bodies, our physical health. You see, forgiveness only happens when we are honest and acknowledge our sin before God and ask for forgiveness and bring it to him. When we hide it, we wither as people. We wither. Listen to what he says, verse 3 and 4. He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Which existence do we want? Do we want the blessed existence? Walking with God, thriving in life, in abundant life, in the fruit of the Spirit? Or do we want to live the life wasting away through groaning and having your strength dried up as by the summer heat? You know why? Because sin is a weight. It is a weight that the longer you carry it, the heavier it gets. Until all of your energy is, is given to just trying to carry this thing along and to drag this thing along with you, trying to live not acknowledging it. And people around saying, you know, if you just cut that loose... You'd be like, don't judge me. Don't tell me what to do. It's my life. Well, I'm not telling you. I'm just pretty obvious. Go to God. He will free you. You see, the gospel itself is about God forgiving sins. At the core, that's what it is. It's God saying, look, I don't want you carrying this weight. You don't need to carry this weight. I want to free you from this weight. And so just simply put your faith in the sacrifice of my son, confess him as Savior and Lord of your life, and I will cut it free, and you will be forgiven. No, you're not going to be perfect. No, you're not going to you know, never struggle with this again, but I'm telling you, I can take the weight off your shoulder and you can live, and I will give you strength, and you don't have to bear that anymore. The gospel is about God wanting to forgive our sins. Now, it isn't about finding worldly happiness, worldly success, or personal fulfillment. Jesus did not die on the cross for those things. Can we find fulfillment in following Jesus? You better believe it. But he did not come into this world to die on the cross to say, I hope I can make everyone happy. That is not what he did. He said, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have authority to take it up again. He came to be savior of the world. 
Jesus died so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we fail to recognize our own problem with sin, we will fail to recognize the good news of the gospel. See, the gospel isn't good news if you don't believe and you don't feel the weight of your sin. And there is so much in our world right now that the entire design by the enemy is to get people to ignore the weight of their sin and blame it on something else. It's not sin. It's just this. It's this. It's this. If you just do this, then you'll feel better. And it's to get people to run in circles trying to deal with the sin in their lives by any means necessary, any other means other than Jesus. And if we will just stop and recognize that sin is a part of our world, then we recognize our need for forgiveness. And once we recognize that, we see that God is good and he has offered that forgiveness. He didn't withhold it. He didn't punish us first. He didn't say, look, feel bad enough about it to a certain point and then you'll be okay. He just says, I need you to, one, you, you are sinful. And you know why? Because if we don't understand our sin, we don't understand our need. And so what did he do? We have the entire Old Testament sacrificial system that God set up to say, I'm going to show you just how sinful you really are. I'm going to show you through my law that you are completely lost. And so we can take all of God's law, and this is the wonderful thing about God's law. God's law defines holiness for us, but gives us no ability to get there. But it sure defines it. So take the Ten Commandments, any of you in here, and hold up your hand if you have kept them in your life. Thank you for nobody raising your hand. We were about to have a talk. You might have gotten to come up. Say, I'm going to sit down and you preach because you figured something out. I haven't. Look, we can't. And that's what God's law is designed to do. It is not designed to say, hey, keep the law and you can go to heaven. It's designed to say, you can't. Here is what holiness is and you are so far down here, you can't even recognize it without me telling you what it is. Now think of that. We were created to be in relationship with God. And we have become so sinful, so broken, so blind that we can't even recognize or think of what holiness is without God giving us a law defining it. And even in that law, it defines just how bad we actually are. Because the God, the creator of the universe, had to start the Ten Commandments by saying what? I'm the only one. Don't worship somebody else. There's one of me. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. But I know who you are, and I know what you do. So we're going to go on to number two. This says, don't make an idol. Don't try to define it for yourself. You're not me. I'm not you. I'm different. I'm higher than you. Just worship me. Don't worship the creation of your own mind. And then he had to do things like, hey, show respect to your father and your mother. Now, the fact that he has to tell us that, how far down are we? That he has to say, hey, don't commit murder. Just, just don't. How far gone are we that God had that? That's the standard? Don't kill people? Don't commit adultery? Don't covet? Don't steal? 
He's telling us through the law, look how bad you are. This is how bad it is. And, you know, it's so much easier for us to just kind of look at society and be like, oh, yeah, it's messed up. Hey, guess what? We're part of society. Okay? All of us are. And it's easy to look out there and be like, oh, yeah, that's horrible. And realize, like, oh, wow, I'm actually adding to this in some way. And you know what? Spend some time here, and you'll find out where you're adding to it. Because God will convict you of your sin and then offer you good news of forgiveness so you can come out of it. You see, blessing is in having your sins forgiven. Not pretending that they're not there. Not hiding them. Not refusing to see the truth. Not redefining it as something else. Just simply being willing to come to God and say, God, I'm messed up. I am messed up. I have sin in my heart and my life. But God, I confess it to you. Forgive me. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And I am claiming that sacrifice for my sins. Do that and watch what happens in your life. The weight will be lifted. The guilt will be removed. And you know why? Because forgiveness is born from love. Forgiveness is born from God's perfect love. He isn't doing this to shame us. He isn't doing this to hurt us. He isn't doing this to punish us. He simply is saying, he's holy. And he wants us with him. But there is this issue that has to be dealt with before we can be with him. If we want to be with him for all eternity, then the sin must be covered. It must be removed. And he did all the work for us. He just said, here, but you've got to do it my way. You see, there are things that God is not going to compromise on and he's not going to change and he's not going to say, nope, well, okay, well, a special exception for you. No, he says, look, Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Jesus Christ is the only way to be forgiven. He paid the price, no one else. And so if we want forgiveness, we have to go through him. And, and so listen to what the psalmist says here about this. He says, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And then God tells us, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. When is the best time to pray for forgiveness? The instant you become aware that you've sinned. You know why? Because that's a moment that he may be found. You know why? Because the only way, the only way any of us becomes aware of sin in our own heart is through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know you've sinned because God just told you you sinned. Now, it's up to us in that moment to decide, am I going to listen to that? Am I going to heed that? Am I going to turn around? Am I going to go back to God? Or am I going to persist? You see, we never know when that's going to be that last time when God's like, you know what, I'm just going to let you go ahead and have what you want. And I'm going to stop talking to you. And I'm going to stop convicting you. And I'm going to let you wade on out into whatever waters you're wading into. 
And what does he say? He says, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. And then he says, surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. See, there will come a time that our prayers won't be heard. We don't know when that is, but there will come a time. You see, we need to pray the instant we become aware of sin, not because God is angry and is waiting to punish us, but because he is loving us and is wanting to redirect us and forgive us and heal us of what's happening. When we sin, we're not hurting God. We're hurting ourselves. Okay, trust me, God's getting along just fine. We're not hurting him. We're not, you know, wounding his kingdom. We're, we're not being the rebellious kid that's, well, I'll get even, and, you know, I'll hurt his heart. Trust me, God's heart's fine. He is perfectly fine within himself. He is perfect. He is holy. He is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. There's nothing we're going to think of that he's like, hmm, didn't see that coming. He is fine. But we are hurting ourselves. And so confession of sin is like going to the doctor to treat a wound before it gets worse, before it gets infected, before we lose functionality. Because every sin is a deep wound. Every one. When it says the wages of sin is death, think about it. That's saying every sin is a mortal sin. You see, there's a time in church history where they wanted to talk about like levels of sin. And one's mortal and one's venial is what they called it. And that these sins don't matter as much as these sins. No. The wages of sin is death. Every sin is a mortal sin. It is a mortal wound. And we have to go to the great physician to have him healing. God is the great physician and the blood of Jesus Christ is what heals all wounds. All wounds. There is no sin that the blood of Jesus cannot cover. There is nothing that God is like, no, no, never mind. You're too far from me. Jesus died for the sins of the world. And so the psalmist is telling us it is best to confess and pray at the moment God convicts because God may not answer in the future. And I'm telling you, friends, don't play with God on this one. The more we ignore God, the easier it gets to ignore him. Until you find yourself out somewhere that going, well, how did I get here? When God may, may or may not, he may open your eyes again. He lets you wander for a while, and then he speaks again, says he's still liking where you're going. And we kind of open our eyes, and it's like, whoa, what's happening here? How did, it, how did this go so far? How did I get so bitter? How did this happen like, like this in my own heart? You see, that's what sin does. And, and so, like Elijah, God will warn us early and often in a whisper. In a whisper. And I'm sure there are people here that could testify that if we, if we wanted to take the time. That God, you know, we kind of start down a path or, or even just, just a thought, you know, a thought process. And God's like, hey, hey, uh-uh, uh-uh, don't. And we either shut it down and keep going or we listen to it and say, okay, God, what's, yeah, this is wrong. And God says, okay. Turn away from it. Turn back to me. You know what you're doing is wrong. Yeah, you're right. I do. You see, we have to adopt the attitude 
of the psalmist who says, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. You see, the psalmist's words are very carefully chosen in this, this psalm. Blessed is the one he counts no iniquity against. You're a, you're a hiding place for me. You, you, you surround me with shouts of deliverance, which means he's saying, you've rescued me time and time again. We can't count on ourselves to keep ourselves out of trouble, but if we will listen and trust God, he will redirect us every time. The Holy Spirit will redirect us. But we have to be willing to listen to that. And when we finally come to see that God truly loves us, then we start to trust him in this more and more. You see, if we're living our lives trying to get away with stuff, then God's always going to be the killjoy. He's always the one that's going to be trying to withhold something from us, keep us from life. Hey, can't we just have a little fun? Can't we just whatever? He doesn't know me. I deserve more. I deserve better. Whatever. We're going to have that attitude all the time. But when we finally really get to the point of like, I really think God loves me. He gave his son for me. He created me. He's here. He's gentle. He's patient with me. I think God actually cares about my life. I think God knows my name and, and cares for me deeply, a lot of it starts to make sense. But if we don't start with the place of God loving us and we start with the place of God being angry and wanting to punish us, well, if, it, if we start in the place where God wants to punish us, then we're going to be in that place where it's what can I get away with without getting, you know, making dad mad. What can I do that's not, you know, it won't get his attention, but I can still have my fun. When we start at the place of love, then we say, well, I don't want to do anything against him. Because he's the one who loves me, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to disappoint. I don't want to rebel against him. Why would I do that? You see, in 1 Corinthians thirteen, four through eight, we have one of the greatest definitions of love in Scripture. And I know this is this is common, and, and we hear it, but there's a reason God gave it to us. Because if 1 John four seven is correct, where it says God is love, it says he who does not love does not know God, because God is love. If God is love then what does this say here when it says love is patient and kind? Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, now take that as a description of God's character and disposition towards you. Is this how God has treated you? Yes. Nobody in here can say God has been anything but patient and kind to them. Now we may deceive ourselves and be deceived by the enemy trying to tell us that God has been less than patient and kind, but if we're going to be honest about it, we have to look at it and say, no, he's, he's been very patient. Now, this is obviously not exhaustive of God's love, but it is eternally true. And because it is eternally true, it will never change. It will never change. This will be who God is for all eternity, and it's who he has always been. God's forgiveness of our sins is rooted in love that he has for us, and we see it in his patience and his kindness. You look over this, you see the attributes of God that led him to offer his son as a sacrifice for our sins. God shows grace 
rather than being arrogant, rude, or resentful towards us. Think of that. We rebelled against him, and yet he wasn't resentful. He said, you know what? I'll fix it. But God, I, I don't like you. Oh, but I love you. I don't want forgiveness. Yeah, but I'm going to offer it anyway. Well, God, I want to define truth for myself. Now, if you do that, you're going to hurt yourself. So I'm going to define truth for you. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. Look to him. You see, God rejoices with the truth that he will forgive us our sins. And forgiveness is rooted in love. And if we can't find hope in life in the fact that God's love is real, and was presented to us in power through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we aren't looking. Because we find within the end of this that hope is found in submission. You see, the offer of forgiveness has been made. The price has been paid. God has offered his son in our place, and he has said, whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 6.2, for he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. God has not withheld anything. In Hebrews 4.7, it says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. When God speaks, now is the time to react. You see, along with God's continual calls to repentance and to holiness is a call for people to hear and obey to which the people often become resistant and stiff-necked, stubborn, refusing to hear God's word. And the psalmist closes out with this. In verse 9, he says, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding which must be curbed with bit and bridle. He started off, Blessed is the one whose sin is forgiven. He says, but if you want this forgiveness, don't be stiff-necked. Don't be stubborn. Don't dig in with pride and, and human stubbornness saying, no, God, I will not bend my will to you. He says, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked. We do it to ourselves. But what? But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Now notice he didn't say steadfast love is for the one who, has never, who doesn't sin. What does he say? The one who trusts in the Lord. Which means when we sin, we confess to God because we trust him as a loving father. We take it to him. When he tells us to repent, and he says, hey, you really do need to change your attitude. You need to change your actions. We trust him and say, okay, I don't know how, but God, walk me through this. Teach me how. Help me to be more like you. And we make the changes that he tells us to make. You know why? Because he's not going to tell you to change something without empowering you to do it. God does not ask the impossible from us. Will he ask the difficult? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Will, will he ask the seemingly impossible? Yes. Is it impossible? No, because he has called you to do it. And so he says, verse 11, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. You see, the point is not that we need to try harder to be perfect. The point is that we must learn to submit to God's will without having to be forced into it. 
there will come a day that it's going to be forced. There is a judgment day coming for all of humanity, for all time, in which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The question is not if you are going to bend your knee. The question is when. Will you do it willingly now and confess your sin to him and and accept that Jesus died for you and find hope and forgiveness of your sins? Or will it be on the day of judgment when there will be no hope and he will say, depart from me for I never knew you? It's one or the other. There is no in between here. We either find hope and forgiveness or we will be condemned. It's one or the other. Which one will you be? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this day. God, we thank you that, God, you have laid out the truth for us. God, we thank you that you have shown us who we are. You have shown us who you are. And you have shown us the way back to you. God, help us to see the truth and be set free by the truth. God, if there are any here who have not put their trust in you, Lord Jesus, I pray that they would ask right now that you would come into their lives, that they would confess that you are Lord and ask you to forgive their sins and to give them eternal life. God, maybe there's some here who are struggling with with a sin that they've got covered. That they're deceiving themselves. God, I pray you make that clear so that they can find healing. Not condemnation. Not shame. But God, healing and wholeness. God, we pray this together in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.